Let's go in our Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going through our series through Judges on Sunday mornings on the idea of being faithful in an unfaithful world. And we're going to look today at chapters 6 through 8 on Gideon. And the title is Gideon, who is Captain Not Courageous. Captain Not Willing to Lead. Captain Insecurity. So, as you're turning there, Judges and the Old Testament, I would ask that you would pray with me and we ask God's grace upon us as we open His Word in just a few moments. Father, You are holy. You are righteous. You're loving. And You have given us yet another day. Some here, You have given another day to repent. Another day to repent the sin of fear. Others for the sin of adultery, fornication. Lord, in the crowd of this this size here Sunday morning, there are undoubtedly people here who are struggling with drunkenness. And we pray, God, that today, through the preaching of Your Word in the Old Testament, that You would give us freedom. Some of us do not lack. So some of us do not have natural courage. Some of us are fearful. Many of us are insecure. Many of us are trying to find something to prop us up. Or to ground. To give foundation to our self-esteem. There are some of us here today, Lord, that think so little of ourselves that we never do what You clearly told us to do. For some of us, that's just going through the awkwardness of sharing the gospel of Jesus with someone who doesn't know Him. For others, it's being baptized. The fear of people and standing in front. God, for some of us, we struggle with greed. Refusing to tithe. Refusing to give to the work of the Lord. Refusing to give to missions because our God is in something that we ultimately cannot control. So we pray. That it's only through your power. It's not mine. It is not rhetorical skills. Preachers come and they go. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. So we're asking you, Lord. I'm asking you. As a follower of Jesus, someone who you have changed. And we ask you, Lord, as a group this morning, to be merciful to us and give us the anointing power of your Spirit to see Jesus high and lifted up. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Read with me Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains, the caves, and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, the coast, and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up against their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And, verse 6, Israel was brought very low 
because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now, this is an interesting story. This is an unnamed prophet in the Old Testament. Verse 7, When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And He said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. The story of Gideon can be put very simply, and this is our driving thought, that insecurity... Insecurity in your life, in my life, insecurity in the life of this church, insecurity in the life of a nation will cripple you, but Jesus Christ will free you. Insecurity will cause you to withdraw inwardly so that you are a self-contained ball of misery. Insecurity will trap you, but Jesus will enable you. You see, insecurity will keep you from even enjoying the basest things of life, but Jesus Christ comes to empower you. And what we don't want to see in this story in the Old Testament is to look at Gideon and say, wow, what an amazing guy. Because guess what? He really wasn't. We're going to see here in just a few moments that Gideon was not the guy that we would have as a, a teenager like the Rambo poster or the poster of a basketball star or, or uh, someone who I'm going to admit this. I'm going to admit this. I'm coming far. I'm trying to be nice. Um, and this is true. Someone like RG3 who is a great football player coming from a Cowboys fan. You have his poster on your wall. Everybody else is like, if I say amen, he's going to call me out. All right? Someone that we look up to to say, I want to be like that because they have demonstrated things that are admirable. No one would want to be Gideon at all. And I think that in this story, we are going to see often, especially in the book of Judges, this theme that as culture slowly, well, say American culture, as American culture very quickly runs the opposite direction of God and His Word, As culture continues to move in a direction that can only bring destruction, as culture becomes increasingly unfaithful to God, you and I are trying to figure out in our Sunday school classes, in this church, in your families, in your friendships, how do I stand in an age to where even people, even pastors, even people who say that they believe the Bible are in advocacy for everything that God is against? What do I do to be faithful in an unfaithful world? The very root of it is to come to Christ and to kneel down and say, Jesus, it may be weird at my work. It may cost me at my school. It may, it, it may cost me business contacts. It may cause rifts between friends and families. But because I love you, I'm asking you that you enable me and you empower me to be faithful in an unfaithful world. And I hope that you can pray that with me this morning. Amen, church? You watch the news. Most of us are, are plugged in in some way or the other. And if you're not, you still hear it through the grapevine. That there's a seismic shift going on, and we may have to address that again in a few weeks. I would just say this, um, in regards to the 
homosexual issue um, that was recently before the Supreme Court with any uh, abortion issue. We've already treated those subjects here Sunday morning. If you want to go on our website, there are notes um, that you can go through. If, you, if you're new here, if you're not, um, if you don't know Jesus or if you're just struggling with those things, how you should approach them, I would encourage you go on the website and check out the series Christians and Politics. We should have called it Christ and Culture, but we just wanted to go ahead and throw two grenades out there and use the P word politics anyway and just get it out. How should we as Christians who love Jesus and love people address those issues? Please hear me, those of you that are fireballs, in love. Let me say that one more time. In love. You can, it is possible to win an argument and lose a person. And it is possible to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, win an argument for His glory and still win the person. But here's where our story starts. Israel has been brought very low by Midian. Not only that, but they cried out to God. And then in verse 7 through 10, as we just read, God sent an unnamed prophet. And notice what that prophet told the nation. These are people who they are having everything that they've ever worked for stripped away. Some of us get so angry. Some of you that have worked so hard. And then that time in April comes around. And you see that you have been, with our tax code now, you have been penalized for your productivity. Regardless if you like the tax code now, whether you like a fair tax or a flat tax, that's the way it's, it's structured right now. You say, man, if I could have just sat home instead of working late, I wouldn't have had to pay as much taxes. Amen? Alright? And we just get so worked up because then we're like, you know, we see, we see those bumper stickers and some of you get all worked up. You say, a bumper sticker, keep working. Millions on welfare depend upon you and you just you get all fired up. But think about it like this. What if systematically, another people group, another nation, plundered our area and took everything that we had. That's, that, that's the ancient equivalent. When they took the sheep and the oxen and the donkeys, that means that you had no transportation, you had no way to make a living, you were utterly destitute. And notice what God sends this prophet with. The prophet came and the prophet gave them a new message. Isn't that what that text said? Did y'all read it with me? A brand new message that they had never heard before. Something that was such of shock and awe that they said, No way! You're blowing my mind! Mr. Prophet with no name. This is like the Clint Eastwood, the man with no name. This is the prophet with no name. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't give them some new word. He reminded them of what they already knew to be true. And let me just put this forward for us this morning. One of the greatest things that God can do in our lives when we retreat in insecurity is He can remind us of things that we already know to be true. Amen? I mean, if you know the Gospel, there's nothing more mind-blowing than the Gospel. You tracking with me on that? Everything that it entails. If I am half as bad as the Bible and my conscience when I'm not lying to myself. Huh? In those times, those moments that I am truly honest and I look within and say, Oh my word. Some of you may say different words, but we're just going to keep it like that. Say, I am in trouble. Say like Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I need change. And then to know what God did through Jesus to come to forgive us of our sins. Not to say, start doing better so that you can be a better person, but I am here because you could never be good enough. You see the difference? I've talked to so many sweet people. And they say, Jeff, I need Jesus. I need something in my life. But I need to start doing better. You don't need to do better. You need to realize that you can never do enough. 
And if we're going to be very technical about it, the book of Romans chapter 3 tells us that there is none who does good. Imagine if you and I are taking a walk. Accidentally, there was this pool of used mortar oil. We slipped into it. We got out. And then we try to to go to, a, I guess we could say, a very nice house with all white carpet, with white furniture. And we go to try to clean that house. Even if we try to do a good job cleaning, if we have not first been cleansed, you see, we'll mess it up. That's why the Bible says that we can even do good things outwardly. Give to charity. Come to church. Give to missions. Help the proverbial little lady cross the street with her groceries. But ultimately, that's not good enough for God. It has to be absolutely perfect. So the prophet reminds them of what they already knew to be true. And then in verse number 11, we find Gideon. Gideon was doing P90X and he was telling all of the guys how to be more manly. Is that what it says in verse 12? Verse 11? No, sir. He was hiding in a wine press, beating out the grain in order to at least bring some measure of sustenance to his family. This was a nice way of saying that he was hiding. He was hiding. Now here's uh, Gideon's resume. I'll give it to you very quickly. He was here hiding. He was not fighting. That kind of rhymes, doesn't it? Like that one, Paul? Alright, he was not hiding. He was hiding. He was not fighting. And he was there. And the angel comes to him. And check this out. In verse number 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of what? Valor. Valor means courage on steroids. It is the man who takes the charge. The man who leads to say, I will take this city all by myself, even if you guys stay back and play Nintendo 64, I'm still going, brother. I'm there. Let's do this. Valor. Now, he said, who was the man of valor? The man hiding. Interesting, isn't it? Gideon's resume was that he had no goals, no support, and no confidence. Adrian Rogers says this. And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this and imprint it upon your mind and heart. He says, I have seen men... Too big for God to use, but never one too small. Amen? Let me give that to you again. He says, I have seen men too big for God to use, but never one too small. Then he says, Gideon was not called for what he was, but for what God could make out of him. And this morning... There may be some of you, you say, Jeff, I want to do great things for God, but I don't think I can. You're a great candidate for God to do something through you. Because you know what happens when we become too big for God? We come to the place where we say, you know what? God, I could use your help here. I could use your help there. But I don't really need you to fuel and fund the project of my life all the way through. Well, notice what Gideon's response was here. In verse number 12. He says, the Lord is with you. The angel said this, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, notice he didn't meet a beat. Miss a beat. Please, sir. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And then he says, notice his excuses in verse 15. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. Notice this. He lacked confidence. 
We don't have to have a showing of hands. But if sometimes you lack confidence in your life, Gideon is your guy. He was hiding. Sometimes when the Lord calls us to do things, we are hiding. Some of us, by the way, we even shirk the responsibility that God has already given us. And that is go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. Question for you to answer. How many people have you shared Jesus with in 2013? Just think about it. For most of us, that number compared to the number that God has prompted us to share with is far different. When I was a kid, my dad wanted me to play basketball. For some reason, my parents didn't want me to play football. They didn't think I was built for it. Crazy, I know. And so my dad says, we're going to get you into basketball. So I started to play basketball, and I was like some kids that you see. I was six or seven years old, and once they get the ball, they get scared. Have you ever seen that watching little kids play? I mean, when the ball is hit to them, either in baseball, whatever. When basketball, they threw me the ball, I immediately looked for someone else to pass it to. And there's this one kid named Justin. Now, this is the mid-80s, and Justin has what I now know to be a mullet. Alright? And so he had not only the ability that God had given him, but he had Billy Ray Cyrus mullet power going with him. So every time I got the ball, I would look for Justin. And Justin was very good. He had big brothers. I didn't have big brothers. And I would throw the ball to Justin. I would get the ball. Where's Justin? And I think I maybe shot the ball one time the whole year. You know why? I was insecure. I had a coach when I was a teenager who would tell us, what I want is execution. Execution, execution, execution. And not that we would kill other people. Although in our softball team, we do sometimes hit the other team with the ball. I'm not saying any names. What's up, Mark? And um, anyway, just, just moving forward on that. He would say, what we want is to execute and to do what I've taught you to do. So he would be, I'm, I, and looking back, the 90s were, I guess, le- less crazy today as far as a lot of certain certain things. And just having the coach over there yelling, execute, execute. And the parents on the other team are like, what in the world is going on? He was a good coach because he said, I want you to do what you already know to do. Let's just be honest this morning. Sometimes we come to church, we say, show me something new. We should always want to learn more about Jesus, right? We should always want to be more versed in the Bible. But I think a large part of the Christian life is not Jesus, show me something new. It's give me the ability to do what I already know I should do. Y'all all right? I mean, how difficult is it to get over yourself? Adults who claim to love Jesus, get over yourself. And some of us, honestly, if you've been in church for decades and you never tell anybody about Jesus, get a life. Y'all okay? Get a life. If this never translates to life change and reaching out to people who need Jesus, then it is a joke. Quote me on that. Get a life. Get over yourself. Come to Christ. Repent of the sin of pride. Be more concerned about your what people think of you than whether people are going to go to hell and say, Jesus, I don't know how to do it, but I want to follow you in the big things, which are so often the things that are so basic, which is love one another. To follow Christ. And we do what Gideon does. You don't understand. God. You're saying that I'm going to go defeat the Midianites. We come to, we come to the Lord and he, and he, he tells us, follow me. But we say, Lord, you don't understand. I'm like Gideon. I, my family, we don't do that. Um, I'm the least in my family. We're the least of these people groups. How are we actually going to follow you? 
And notice the way that the Lord says in verse 15, He says, do I not send you? Know that when you extend the hand of Jesus Christ, the Gospel, when you love someone, you are doing the work of God and you have all of the resources of heaven available for you to be able to do that. So what it takes, if you're taking notes, this is to fill in some more. What does it take in order to truly follow Christ in your Christian life? It takes a confrontation and it takes a call. He was confronted and he was called. God called him to follow. And if you think back in your Bibles, Moses had excuses too, right? Moses says, Lord, obviously I'm insecure. I can't articulate. I can't talk very well. And God said, that's fine. I'll just send your brother Aaron. Aaron will talk for you. He will be your mouthpiece. And not only that, if you read the book of Jeremiah, when God calls Jeremiah at the beginning of the book, Jeremiah says, hold on, Lord, I don't understand how to speak. I don't understand how to be able to do this. And and furthermore, I'm not one of the prophets. I haven't been trained properly. And God tells Jeremiah, do not fear their faces. You see, I think that at the church of Jesus Christ, if we just got over ourselves and we came to the point where we said, you know what, my insecurity will retract my ability to follow Christ. My insecurity will cripple me, but Christ will empower me. I want to be empowered. That's the question. Are we willing to stay in our personal lives and even in the life of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church? Are we willing to stay retracted with insecurity, unwilling, unable to reach out to people who need Christ? Or are we willing to say, Lord, I know that you can empower me, so I'm asking you to do that. You say, now Jeff, what actually happens when Christ comes in and when I give Him those areas of my life that I'm holding back right now, those areas of insecurity. Well, number one, when you commit to follow Christ, He gives you the ability to stand up against evil and evil establishments. There, um, <clears throat> in the same chapter, in verse number 28, this is after Gideon had made sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord came to him and said, I want you to go do some destruction. So our construction, destruction crew, listen up. He wanted, he said, Gideon, I want you to go and you're to destroy the altar of Baal, which is a false god. It was a system of religion that was founded upon immorality. It was a false pagan cult that was founded upon all sorts of perverted things. So he said, I want you to go and I want you to take it down. So this is God-anointed special operations. Gideon gets ten of his men and he goes at night and he tears down this altar. And then the men of the town apparently found out, maybe there was somebody watching out of their window late at night, and they said, who did this? And somebody said, Gideon did it. And they said, let's go take his life. But then one man said, now hold on. If Baal is a real false god, If he's true, if he's living, if it's not just all made up, then let Baal contend for himself. And so his name, uh, Gideon's name from that point was Jeroboam, which means let Baal contend for himself. Do you realize it's stepping out of your comfort zone and saying, Lord, I'm insecure to do this, but I think that you can lead me to do this. That will cause you to be able to stand against evil and you will be known for that. You ever thought about nicknames? How some nicknames are very, rather interesting. And some people are known for certain things. Other people are known for others. When we step out and follow Christ, we will be known for that. It's like, oh yeah, the guy that tells people about Jesus. That's right, the lady that loves people and gives them, gives them food. Uh, ministers to them in their difficult time. Not only that, but when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I have this insecurity. Would you help me to follow you? Not only does it free us, 
to stand against evil, but it also allows us to act confidently on God's Word, even if we don't have the support from other people. Now, notice what happens here if we cross over to verse 36. This is what some of us remember as kids in Sunday school from the story of Gideon. Gideon, just trying to be on the safe side, he says this to the Lord. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying out a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. So God graciously answered this crazy request. Then He arose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece. He wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just this once more with the fleece. Let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece, and on all the ground there was dew. It's an interesting thing here from the life of Gideon. We don't know if he would have what some people today call OCD. But he was so meticulous and so insecure that not only when God told him to follow him, he said, God, I have excuses as to why I can't follow you. But even further, he said, God, I want you to do a supernatural miracle. And God graciously shows Gideon that he is in charge. So renewed with this passion, Gideon calls out the men. There are over 30,000 that answer the call. Notice there in verse, uh, verse number 3. God says, Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and only 10,000 remained. I've never been in combat, but I have been in business meetings before. But those of you that have been in some type of combat, and you've been faced with that mortal threat, people that have come to have their life threatened, through robbery, something like that. Know the gripping fear of all of the adrenaline that rushes through a person's system to think that I could die. Imagine, you've been dominated for years and years by this foreign people group who keeps coming in, the Midianites. And then finally, God calls through Gideon to say it's time to stand up and take back what is God's land. And people are scared. More people left than stayed. And not only that, the story continues. God says, with the 10,000 men, bring them to water and have them to drink. And the ones who lapped water like a dog, those were the ones that were sent away. And the ones who brought the water to their mouth using their hands were the ones that God said to keep. It's very clear from the text that God sent away the larger people group because God says, I want the glory myself. Now this goes against human reason, doesn't it? Would you rather go with 300 or well over 30,000? If you know there was a war, you want to get as many fighters as you can, the best fighters you can get. You want to go to every mixed martial arts gym. You want to enlist every police officer, every angry mother. I mean, you want to invite in every person that you can that will give you an edge against the enemy. But you notice that God sends away the large group. Then he sends away the small group. And they have only the small group that is left. Let me give you a text in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 4 and 5. The Bible says, 
for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Let me give you another text. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. The Bible says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputator of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, it's only when we take a stand for Jesus in the midst of darkness that we will truly appreciate our faith family. Amen? When we get involved in serving Jesus, which I want to just put another word of encouragement to you. In four weeks from today, we're going to start our Vacation Bible School. It's going to run July 28th through the 31st, 6.30 Sunday night, all the way through Wednesday night through 8.30, two hours each night. We're going to invite as many kids as we can. Amen, church? We're going to invite as many kids as we can. And not only that, it's for all ages, but specifically because they respond to Jesus. Let's get out there and let's invite people. Now, don't kidnap anybody, all right? Don't, don't, don't do that. But we want to put the word out there because we love people. So here's, here's the way the story transitions to its climax. He's got 300 guys. That's it. And then God allows Gideon to go down to the camp. This is in the middle part of uh, chapter 7. They're in verse number 11 all the way through verse number 18. And Gideon goes with his servant. They kind of sneak into the Midianite camp at night. And they overhear these guys discussing a dream. And this dream is that this loaf of barley bread, which was what the poor people ate, would tumble into the camp of the Midianites. And then the, 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 the symbology there was that they would be destroyed. That Midian would be destroyed by a humble Hebrew. And they said, this is none other than Gideon. So guess what they do? They surround the camp, which they were greatly outnumbered, and they had a torch, and they had a pitcher over the torch, and they blew this trumpet, and they took the pitcher off of the torch, and they smashed the pitcher on the ground, and then they said, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And all of a sudden, God caused confusion in the camp of the Midianites, and they began to fight each other because they were so afraid of the invaders. Amen? And there's a group today called the Gideons. And Lee is a Gideon. And they give Bibles to people. And if you notice on the front of the Gideon Bible, it's so cool. This is from the Old Testament, what we're studying here today. It has uh, the symbology of what Gideon used that God told him to bring defeat on that army. Now, I don't know about any other battles in history. They said, okay, here's what you do. If you are facing a superior force, number one... You tell the majority, you tell, you tell all your guys. If y'all are scared, y'all can leave. Y'all don't have to go to the battle. I'm sure you have stuff to do at home, you know, honeydews and things like that. Y'all can leave. And most of the people leave. They said, not even after that, you take people to water and you make a distinction that if you drink this way, then you get to stay. If you drink that way, you get to leave. And then you surround the camp and you have a torch. You have a pitcher, and you smash the pitcher, you raise the torch and say, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And that's the way you win battles. You know that it is the spirit of truth that is the spirit of Christ that the Old Testament tells us about. And just the simple word of the gospel is enough to penetrate the hardest heart. Do we realize that today? 
Sometimes we try to be so creative, and I think we should do everything with the spirit of excellence. But we have to come to the place where we say, Lord, I am relying upon you, even though my human reason can't understand it. So finally, not only when we come to Christ and we give Him our insecurity, does His power enable us to stand against evil? Not only does it enable us to stand firm in obeying God without support from others, but finally, it allows us to obey God even when conventional human wisdom doesn't understand it. Now here's a key that I would encourage you to underline in your Bibles, memorize verse 34 of chapter 6 in the book of Judges. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. Do you realize that when the Holy Spirit clothes us, when He envelops us, when He enables us, it is only then that we'll be able to do things for the Lord. And do you know what how that happens? Some people say, Jeff, I don't know how to be clothed by the Holy Spirit. Well, it's just like I'm going to put on put this suit jacket back on. Notice that when I put the suit jacket on, it's on me. But this suit jacket, if I was going to be shot at by someone who had a handgun, this suit jacket would not be enough to save my life. But a flat jacket would. And I think sometimes we think that being clothed with the Holy Spirit is becoming emotional, making some type of religious decision. But being clothed with the Holy Spirit is to kneel down and say, God, it is only by You that I can stay alive. And it is only by Your grace that I can do what You've called me to do. So Jesus, please put Your armor on me. You've seen the movie The Last Samurai. Tom Cruise, when he goes out to battle... He has the armor put on him by another person. In ancient warfare, that's often the way that it went. You didn't put the armor on yourself often because it was too difficult to do that. We come to the place where we say, Jesus, it's only You. There's an old hymn that some of you may remember. It's, without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. And the chorus says, Jesus, oh Jesus... Do you know Him today? Oh Jesus, please do not turn Him away. Jesus, my Jesus, without Him, how lost I would be. And then the second verse goes like this. Without Him, I would be dying. Without Him, I'd be enslaved. Without Him, my life would be worthless. But with Jesus, thank God, I'm saved. You see, it's not something new that we need to realize. In Franklin County, we have a gigantic demographic of people who are what, what's called de-churched. There was a time in the past where they followed Jesus. They were involved in telling people about the Lord, giving to missions. But there's something happened and they retreated from following Jesus. They're like Gideon, who's, who's in the wine press, which is a place below ground. They're hiding from what God is calling them to do. And Jesus is coming through the power of His Spirit to say, Rise up! Rise up! Man of valor! And we say, you don't understand, Jesus, I've wasted years. I've wasted time. There are so many regrets in my life. But He says, Rise up, man of valor! Get up, woman of valor! I'm for you! And if I am for you, then who can be against you? And we believe that. 
And we say, Jesus, I will trust in that. And we kneel down and He doesn't put on Sunday clothes, quote-unquote. He envelops us. He empowers us like with Gideon. He cloaks us and covers us with the power of His Holy Spirit. For He forgives us of all of our sin. He comes and He gives us courage for living to the point that our life, what we will be remembered for, is a life for truth. And what an honor it's been. I've almost been here three years. What an honor it's been to take part in some of the funeral services for people who have given to the work of the Lord by plugging in and loving Jesus and loving people. They have come to Rocky Mount Baptist Church, many of them for years, and their name may be on a plaque for their service. But the true result is the lives that have been changed all around this area. But it began with a confrontation and a call to where God says, rise up. Man, woman of valor.